fun one today. We haven't done one of these on Dunked On for quite some time. A full mailbag episode. We are getting the questions from our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. And uh, let's get right to it, Danny. What do we got here? We got a nice batch. So these are from Patreon subscribers. So for those of you who, who are into that, and we said one of the things we said was that new subscribers would definitely get their questions, would get their questions answered. So we might as well start there. So uh, from Will Malloy, new subscriber here, Kevin Durant shop blocking and help defense, among other things, have been outrageous since he joined the Warriors. Can you think of a more impactful help defender that played primarily as a wing in NBA history? And how much of this improvement do you credit to the Warriors defensive composition? Well, I'll take the first part. I think the other two candidates that come to mind for me are LeBron James in his heyday with the Miami Heat and Scottie Pippen. Pippen was not, neither of these guys really are quite just the straight up shop blockers that Durant is. But LeBron, I mean, even now you'll see it when he's in the area guys are just like kind of scared to go up around him and i mean and you would see that especially when he used to be the athlete that he was guys always felt him around the room even if he didn't always jump and then Pippen wasn't necessarily a shot blocker he was a good shot blocker for a small forward in his era but just his help instincts especially also you have to remember that he played in an era where there was a legal defense and so if you were going to double team you had to either double team hard or in theory you'd be called for legal defense so he had much more ground to cover as a help defender and he also had to avoid getting called for legal defense when he would kind of help out in the lane maybe more than was technically allowed for so those are the two that really come to mind for me i think pippen gets a lot of discussion for his on ball work and he was certainly quite good there but i think actually as an off ball player he was even better and, and then maybe you want to talk about this uh the katie's improvement when he's gone to the warriors yeah so so i'll i'll echo your your first two i'll defer to you on pippen just because i wasn't watching the nba as closely then as you were and with lebron i, I thought exactly the same thing and also both lebron and, and durant have played stretches because they have the size at power forward which also magnifies their help capabilities because you just get the opportunity to do more of it and i thought that's yeah. part of how lebron shined in the 2016 finals was that he didn't have to be on ball as much uh the, the warriors part of it is significant I, I think just having the defenders back there that he trusts and i mean the thunder and the sonics to a degree that first year went through a lot of different guys but also i th- just think durant is taking more of an interest in doing it at the beginning of the season he the capability is there i mean we saw that in the 2016 western conference playoffs and before that at, at periodic moments but he didn't bring it as much in the regular season that just wasn't a part of his game he was shouldering a different kind of offensive load maybe he just didn't want to he was also playing more minutes from what I recall. And so I think that has been opened up a little bit. And so you can call that defensive composition, but I think it's more about opportunity, just being able to concentrate a little bit more on it and his own concerted effort to just do more. And he he has been better. I mean, to me, game in, game out, he's been meaningfully better both this year and last year than any time as a member of the Thunder. Yeah, I think that's right. And a lot of it, I think, is being held more accountable in the Warriors culture, being around great intelligent defenders like Iguodala and Draymond, who are two of the guys that are bigger influences on him on the team yeah. and then also just and communication too yeah yeah i mean and better coaching i mean it clearly is the case i mean he did have ron adams in, in okc he's got him again here but just overall i think the warriors coaching staff and system is better but then also something that you hit on is just playing much more for in golden state and therefore just being closer to the room also because just generally they switch more even if he's not playing as a four he does spend more time closer to the room maybe 
because he's switched and so he does have more of a chance to get those shot blocks and i think he's also just really enjoying acting like that and then the other thing too is just there aren't as many big guys as there used to be either and the game is now more about trying to drive to the basket and so guys who not only it used to be you had big guys there and even if you were kind of slow you could get into position you could affect guys at the rim now speed is just as important in shot blocking as actually being able to get up there once you arrive because you have to cover so much more ground you're crashing in from the three-point line and he's probably among seven footers probably the fastest seven footer that we've ever seen i just as a side note because i always feel like mailbags are a little looser i had a funny moment over the weekend because um my parents actually went to the game against the sixers and i explained to them the whole thing about kevin durant being listed at six nine but actually being seven feet and they were confused and frustrated by it Well, tell him that he once said that uh, girls don't like you if you're seven feet. That's part of why he didn't want to be listed at more than six nine. But I totally understand it because it's like the taller you're listed as, it almost like devalues your accomplishments. Like you're supposed to be doing it, right? Like so uh yeah all right we'll do a more uh before we do our read this will be one close to both of our hearts here we got a couple of questions augustus archschwager and doc o'carter out of harlem asks uh basically frank milkina versus dennis smith what do you think of it uh after obviously lebron made those comments that they should have drafted dennis smith uh not necessarily as a knock on frank but more as uh building up dennis smith i mean i I also want to note that i think a big part of lebron making that statement was just to jab at phil jackson who is distinctly not his favorite person but the difference between those two guys is really about ceiling more than anything else i mean dennis smith has a floor that can be concerning i mean we saw some of those negative for him defensively and some of the the red flags in, in his time at North Carolina State. But what makes him different is just, I think, the burst that he has as an athlete off the dribble. His passing is not elite, like he's not at that, the, you know, the rarefied air, but he's an, probably underrated in terms of his vision. And he has defensive potential. I mean, Nokina has obviously done a much better job of actualizing that in his early career, but it's a ceiling play. And one of the questions um, from, from Arschwager talked about you know the the kind of the performance and the projections and i think for me when i'm looking at guys at this point you know you can of course consult things like what what kp does and other things is that it's it is more about what i see and we watched a lot of film of both these guys and i just see the ceiling with smith and that is that is why we both had him so high and maybe should have had him higher yeah, I mean, certainly Smith in terms of his physical tools, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, probably the only two guys in the league who can match him at the point guard position. Maybe Derek Rose at one time could have, but really no longer. Anyone else really who's in that conversation for you is the, the most athletic point guard in the league. I mean, De'Aaron Fox is close. Well, I, I, but I not think quite there, I don't think. It's it's interesting because Lillard is a different kind of athlete. Like he's a better jumper. Yeah, he than doesn't. Some of he doesn't guys, have the size. But he doesn't have the though, bird. Yeah, and or yeah. the size. And I don't. Th- I don't think of him as like you know in that conversation of like bet fastest guy and then he's he's a good he's a very good athlete in that way. But he's not just superlative like Westbrook, like Wall, like Dennis. Yeah, he deserves to be in the discussion though. I am glad yes. that you mentioned him. Um. So yeah, I mean, just and Frank has shown great quickness defensively. Just just not an explosive leaper though and it doesn't necessarily have a, a huge knack for finishing by the way dennis smith already has 14 dunks this year <laughs> for a point guard that's that's uh completely insane he's only playing 30 minutes a game too um so looking at a few of the stats with these guys smith 12.8 pr 29 minutes a game 
true shooting percentage 48% which is not great but not horrendous for a rookie point guard usage 30% usage I mean just to be able to get up that number of shots as a rookie point guard is pretty impressive especially on a pretty limited Dallas offense and he's turning it over a lot 18% of his possessions Frank the big thing statistically that really sticks out for him is 4.8% steal rate which is extremely high he's getting a lot of steals he he really is looking like he's going to be one of the best in the NBA defensively it's a point guard position for a long time offensively though he has shown more passing vision than i thought but really other than that shooting 34 percent from the field 24 percent from three the jump shot that he showed i think will come around i think he's going to get to be a solid shooter but i just he doesn't have in the number one skill in the nba to me what people really pay the big bucks for is efficiently creating shots for yourself and others and i think that Smith can get there. His usage rate is promising. Just the way he blows by guys is promising. He's got to work on his handle, actually. He, he could really tighten that up. Um, but even as he is, he's able to just, you know, if he gets a big on him, he can just blow by him pretty much any time. And then his three-point shooting, he's been very aggressive from downtown, maybe a little bit too much, but he's up to 32%. He's taking five threes a game. Uh, he's 22 out of 68, and Frank is only five out of 21 so far. Something I do really like about Nokina that could be potentially useful down the line is I think he's been better as a point guard and as a primary ball handler at this point than I expected. Full credit to him for that. His passing has been better. His handle has been a little bit better. But what made him intriguing to me, same way it was for Dante Exum, was that I think he can defend multiple positions. And with Frank, it's even clearer. So that provides a different value. So even if he doesn't get to the point where he can be your lead guy, where he can be, you know, putting him in an offense gives you a good shot at being top 15. You can get somebody else. You can get somebody else. You can play him there. I thought his off ball movement last year was actually quite nice and his jump shot as catch and shoot is solid so that doesn't make him a better prospect than smith in any way but it is another piece of his value so even if he doesn't reach a ceiling he's helping your team more than just like a low-end point guard like let's say dennis schroeder like dennis schroeder has that element of him where it's like whether he ends up reaching the top or the bottom he's still a point guard and that's it well you're talking about helping the team if you love fantasy basketball, you can use draft and draft guys to help your team. You're not using salary cap league to create a lineup. You're not using pre-planned salaries. You're doing a snake draft instead. It takes you two to three minutes, but the beauty of it is that you're not going up against pros nearly as much because in salary cap situations, pros can enter a hundred lineups a day if they want to, or even more, and put the odds in their favor if you're just trying to enter a few games a day and have a good time. Which drafts too time consuming for the pros so you're not going up against nearly as many of those and that increases your chances of actually winning which of course is why this is fun you can play for cold hard cash but drafts start from just a dollar so there's a draft for everyone you can join one every couple of minutes as well again they really help out the fantasy player who's new who's just trying to have a good time they take care of last minute injuries for you and once you're done drafting for the night you settle in you watch your guys that's it no trades no waiver wire you don't have to deal with management in fantasy football right now my team is out of it and i like keep forgetting to set my lineup it's like you know daily fantasy you don't have to bother with that stuff so the way to get started with them you can download the app anytime just search draft in the app store and or on google play join a game in minutes you can play from your computer on draft.com as well and all new players can get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit using my promo code CAPSPACE. That'll let them know, of course, that you came from us. Easy to remember CAPSPACE. We talked about it all the time on the program. So you can play a real money game for free. Just use the promo code CAPSPACE on your first deposit. 
All right, where should we go next here? Question from Matt Needham. If you basically, who is the worst best player on a team? So let's uh, assemble our list of candidates as we so often do. Team Bulls, <laughs> Team Kings. That's probably it. Team Lakers, maybe. Because remember, what about we what about Team Nets? Who... Is Carroll better than uh, these d- guys? What about D'Angelo Russell? You're saying you're saying that he is just so bad defensively that. Well, no, I, I mean D'Angelo Russell. To me, it's more about potential than production right now. Like, I, I, th- I would you say that he has provided the most value even per minute on the net so far this year well if you're he's not even the same league as the bulls the bulls have oh that that i will agree with. yeah or, or the kings i mean you know you could put maybe like the hawks with dennis Schroeder and and yeah that that's KCP. kind of where i was thinking like but but kcp was a guy who i mean if you think about it just like hey everyone in the league was a free agent this year and who would get like a good contract you know kcp is kind of would get like starter level of money there's really lopez is a center though his like his usefulness is, is kind of limited he's probably still the best player on the bulls market and you know because been scoring because they don't have anyone else but i'm not going to say a rookie with 10 games under his belt is that good but you know i think so it's between the bulls with marketing or lopez right now and then who is who is it on the kings i mean you can't even identify their best player zach randolph like george hill and none of their rookies are that good De'Aaron fox is a 450 true shooting percentage right now you can't really say him like i mean you can't even identify anyone who, i don't think they have like one quality starter on their team right now i think i would take all three of the top guys on the bulls over anyone on the kings i mean i don't know is laurie marketing really a better player than zach Randolph? lopez probably is for sure i mean lopez is at lopez least is a quality and, Le- starter. and levine is and levine is too when he's healthy. he's a quality yeah, he starter out of but that i mean he puts up numbers but well he is obviously... zach randolph a quality starter i mean he has been at least it's at one point <laughs> well... no no he's not a quality starter. Uh, uh, no oh you're saying you'd take levine over anyone on the kings when healthy right, right yeah i guess so um yeah i mean because I mean, so, so it's, it's also hard because like, yeah. if we were if we were talking about george hill in april of last season like early april not oh, when sure. he wasn't yeah. playing yeah i mean george hill would be better than all those guys but he has been awful this year and awful in a way that i'm not sure is going to be corrected in the near term so i'm i'm gonna you know so so I, it's entirely possible that when he recovers from this toe issue that he will be a lot better but we can't treat that as a given at least not for right now no and certainly not when it's been a, a chronic thing for him so yeah i mean i think you probably would have to go with the kings right now they, they i mean that's amazing to say a team doesn't have a single quality starter well and think about how much that's, money they spent remarkable. think about how much money not only for this year but for future seasons they spent this past off season, and that's still true oh baby <sighs> yeah and before this year the magic might have been in this conversation but even even then you know fournier was okay aaron gordon obviously has been excellent this year so he takes them out of that running vooch has been better than anyone on the kings i mean the magic have like and obviously they're playing extremely well right now too so and then the lakers kcp is clearly better than anyone on the kings brooke lopez is clearly better than anyone on the kings so um yeah i think it's probably the kings and uh that's how you end up losing by 46 points to a 2 and 11 hawks team this a 2 and 11 hawks team that set the franchise record for largest victory in their history so tonight. we're 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 about two weeks away from doing our our first award show because we decided we had a powwow and we decided to do it at the end of november can we just basically decide by acclamation that that king's game is going to be the worst loss so far i mean it's hard to conceive of something worse yeah that is uh i mean you get you get housed by 46 against a team that like i mean it's well and then maybe the worst loss would be the thunder losing at the kings last week (laughs) 
That's a, well, no, that's, I, that's see, I nice was thinking of it right as worst there. loss, not best win, because I feel like the best win can't be against the team as, as atrocious as these Kings are. But either way, well, it'll be a fun discussion. Oh, yeah, I guess they're both worse, both candidates for worst loss. And maybe maybe we can award it to them both. I, there's always, I, I always enjoy that category. Um, All right, uh, uh Idan Livna. Uh, sorry, Idan, I, I don't have a high degree of confidence on that one. But we did tell you guys, if you want to have your name pronounced correctly, include a phonetic pronunciation. Can Spencer Dinwiddie become the Nets' Robert Covington, a fringe guy picked up in the middle of a long rebuild to become a key rotation piece? And they did both have on similar kind of long, non-guaranteed contracts. So uh, there are two components yeah. to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no please after you made that noise you should be allowed to talk now yeah well so there are, the word rotation is doing some pretty heavy lifting here because what robert covington is is a starter on what could be a very good team and i don't see dinwiddie becoming that guy you know i, I think dinwiddie so to, if you answering their question of a fringe guy who can become a rotation piece yes absolutely he can be that but a key rotation piece seems a little bit strong like do you see a, a reasonable path for Dinwiddie to become let's say one of the 35 or 40 best point guards in the NBA yeah maybe but there's a a few things we got to talk about here number one Covington is probably a top 15 player at his position he just got that renegotiation and extension day which we'll probably we'll probably do news tomorrow so we'll get to that then uh but yeah Covington is probably a top 15 uh small forward and that's also the league's rarest position as well and then Dinwiddie I know we've been talking a lot about how good he has looked this year but it's worth noting that he's shooting 34 percent on twos this year you know and he has been hitting the three ball uh he had a solid run last year of competent backup point guard play with the Nets um and this year we'll see he's going to have a, a little bit more time here before Russell returns and they're going to start playing those two guys together more I would imagine but I mean really I could see it possible that maybe Dinwiddie becomes like a very lower end starter so the level that you're talking about yeah I, I, I could see that's possible I mean he's shown some burst he's shown some shooting ability he's got size it's not impossible to me no, no. but he also I mean we got to slow down a little bit too and also he's going to turn 25 very shortly here too so he's getting close likely to what his ceiling is um, although obviously he's had those improvements after the ACL tear suffered in college but no I, I don't think that the two are particularly comparable but you know Covington came out of nowhere and there are players who come out of nowhere but especially when you consider that point guard there's so much more competition to be a top 15 point guard uh, than there is at small forward and but that means also that great small forwards who can shoot and defend are rarer uh i mean he's not a great small forward he's a good small forward um no so i i, I think it's very unlikely i mean that's what makes covington so remarkable Although schmitz was at the lakers game today and he was tweeting like hey you know what this guy has this huge wingspan and he shot 42 percent on threes in his last college season like no way he goes undrafted these days yeah i don't remember because he was at it was such a such a small school that i don't really remember even being familiar with him at that point but it's right i mean especially now with the money that teams are throwing into analytic departments and things like that it feels it feels like somebody would have seen like that those attributes and at least gotten him in for a workout and then probably somebody would have fallen in love with him i think that's fair aaron chan do you guys typically watch games with announcers if so who are your favorite and least favorite to listen to i will say that 
I generally, you know, I have my favorites for sure, but I'll try to listen to the home feed, even ones that I don't like, just so I make sure I'm like getting both perspectives off and up throughout the year. It could be very difficult to do it. I would say, and he says, oh, you can admit that your least favorite if it'll get you in trouble. No, it's fine. I, I could be honest about that. Um, I think, I think uh, local TV crews is like the last bastion of people who just like don't listen to Dunked On <laughs> at all. But um <laughs> so uh, although maybe uh, I, maybe we can flatter ourselves and hope that jim peterson watches since he's actually been on the show and so is shows L- lamar hurt but we really like them well so. and so is carol Lawson. no yeah we could and right right and kara's yeah, doing kara's doing a fabulous job with the wizards yeah it, and no i guess maybe we can edit it to say that announcers we don't like is probably the last bastion of people <laughs> that just a category we could say doesn't listen to dunk time because well no that, know, that, if, if they did listen to dunk time no they we wouldn't not like them right like they would they would have the type of mentality where like they'd be a little more open-minded they wouldn't just repeat all these boring tropes you know i I am blatantly offended that you have ignored the true last bastion of people who will listen to dunked on and that is the broadcasters of the players only broadcast other than brent barry uh no i don't know actually uh uh, greg anthony and steve smith both follow me on twitter okay i I, and i I actually like those guys too i mean when they had chuck on it was intolerable yesterday because i mean like and then what was killing me about it and obviously you know there are competition in some ways with the Drew NBA show but like just talk about the game Jesus like like that well, was that, what was that's just the part me. like I, I would love there are a lot of things that they could do to emphasize the player component of it I even you know like when they've had Dennis Smith as kind of the sideline reporter I think that's been good but I think they just it, it has given me a greater appreciation for having a play-by-play person and beyond appreciating it even more with what we do with the Twitter NBA show like that's just hard like I get in moments with them where I just like if I'm listening to them I get more lost than if I'm watching. But so to, to answer the original, uh, the first, I'll answer the first part of the question first, then we can get into best and worst. I, if I'm watching a game closely, I prefer not to have announcers on because uh, unless I'm, tr- I flip it on, do you know, to get a sense of where the crowd is and kind of get a temperature reading, especially if it's going into a stoppage. But I find that it forces me to pay much closer attention because you get no, you have no fallbacks. You know, you have to, you have to be watching, otherwise you're missing stuff. But I have, you know, there are plenty of times when it's either I'm working on something or I'm thinking or whatever that you know announcers can be a very important part of it and so so in those points i do it and so and and of course that ratio like shifts also based on the quality of it you know if it's if there's no one good doing the game and i don't have as many options as you this could also function as a pitch for direct tv because your options in terms of announce crews are much better than mine with comcast but i think that for me it, it does provide that impetus or that onus to actually watch intently Okay, now now that you're done screwing around, I'll tell everyone who I hate. Uh, Cavs. Yep. Uh, just uh, very little to add, and, and you know their color guy whose name escapes me at the moment um, is just like a lot of cliches, just like gets like really passionate total homers uh san antonio is probably the worst in terms of just being total homers can't stand like B- bill land and sean elliott just complete lack of objectivity is pretty remarkable there um i would say that those are the two uh denver that's those are probably the three lowest for me denver because scott hastings is just like such a curmudgeon like even like and it's one of the when like the other team is doing something awesome he just like he can't stop complaining about the refs or like some other minutia or like how denver is getting screwed you know like that game where like russell westbrook went crazy and like hit that ridiculous three to knock denver out of the playoffs and he also the game where he set the triple double record like hastings was just like in his own world 
world like on some like completely like minute nugget stuff and like couldn't they couldn't even like enjoy like how ridiculous that performance was or, or even even if you're not enjoying it at least like communicate it in just like oh man like i can't believe we can't stop this guy like that kind of thing like you're just not giving any kind of credit and then i would say after that the bulls probably w- would be but they're they're not as bad as those three but uh yeah. well, still pretty far down there I think we should give an honorable mention to the Hawks, at least to Neek. I, I just, there are moments in time where I just get, like, I'm just trying to figure out where he's going with stuff. Um, yeah, he's, I, he's I, like, I at least like him as a guy, though. No, um, that's true. And I've, I've, I met him before I started writing and he was delightful. But, um, but I just, I, I find ones that color people that I always have trouble with is where I don't feel I'm learning anything or at least getting any insight if I was a more casual fan. And I have that problem with Neek. I, I mean, a lot of color guys are, at this this point and and we have to remember too that their job is not necessarily their job is kind of to entertain and also to like provide some stuff for the the casual fan and nick will sure. g- give you some nuggets every once in a while but also like bob rathbun is a, tro- a pro he he's good no, enough Rath- that i wouldn't, yeah, he does a good I wouldn't even yeah I, I really like him uh also a uh don't on or, or at least a uh twitter follower of ours um well, let's, let's do a couple of the best just to have it out oh there. yeah of course um, okay so the so nicks nicks i think is number one to me yeah like clyde is just i mean he'll get into the old cliches and be curmudgeonly every once in a while but man like i i really um i really enjoy him like his vocabulary is awesome he's funny he has like these great insights the other day actually this is pretty good he uh, he said um like mike breen was like said like something oh you know that's like that's like an obvious concept or something and, and clyde this is actually like quite sage he's like yeah everything is obvious once you know it already and it's like yeah that's true right like you have to learn something for the first time at some point in your life um yeah so he's a great and like nets and oh actually i'll tell you else who i hate is the lakers actually they're uh Stu, I'm, Stu so, is solid. I'm so i'm so Bill used McDonald's. to the lakers because i it's watched so much of them when i lived in la that i am completely impervious to it i don't it doesn't even it doesn't even it's like water on a duck's back for me now but like, i can understand they get, ex- they get excited over like totally mundane stuff and like they like there's for like a marquee franchise that when you contrast the nets and the knicks to them it's just like they're completely second rate you would think that like a, a franchise that has that many fans would be like okay you know we need to go and, and that is frankly the broadcast is paying that much for the rights as well you know that you could get like a really awesome pro who just and, and like they're just not like you you don't get a ton of insight from them they just like get excited over meaningless stuff especially with this lakers team being bad it's just like like, and and especially in like the last days of kobe when like they had to still pretend that kobe was all good it was miserable so the other ones in in contention so i would say the knicks are number one i would say for two to me it's a battle between the nets and the wolves i love peterson and benz i think they do a wonderful job Uh, i'm trying to think if there's anybody else who's in that conversation i really enjoy the Celtics like I actually find like like Scalabrini um will at least try to take you to with some next level analysis you know i don't i don't appreciate his whole like white mamba shtick but and then but he's like a solid analyst a smart guy and then tommy he's he's like such a curmudgeon but he in some ways i think he's like almost in on the joke and he also is like he gets like so angry that like you you understand what he's doing like he doesn't he's completely lost the veneer of objectivity and uh i really like gorman as well like he's he's got a great voice um 
Well, I, I think, think that to me, yeah. to me, the the Tommy parallel is sort of to All in the Family, where some people were kind of in on the joke and some people weren't. And I feel like Tommy kind of vacillates between them sometimes. But I enjoy, I I enjoy it for what it is. Like I don't listen to the Celtics broadcast all the time, but it is also absolutely fabulous for teams that, for various reasons, the Celtics and their fans don't like those games, especially if they're winning those games, are just glorious on the Celtics feed. Uh, Joel Myers is an absolute pro the fact oh, that he's yeah. not with the lakers anymore is a total shame and then uh blazers calabro and lamar hurt is a rising star to me and then kings uh napier and reynolds especially napier like he's i really appreciate their approach to covering a bad team the way they dealt with the cousins era they're able to be fair and objective and express frustration but also like still fulfill the function of a local announcer to prevent present the broadcast from the local team's perspective and to be enthusiastic when they do stuff well so i I think they do a good job of really skirting that line so i I appreciate that and especially with the way that they had to deal with cousins i appreciated the way that they covered him quite a bit yeah that's another good one one i have to mention just because i've never said this and since we're being more candid on it for whatever reason ralph waller's inflection drives me crazy the rest of it i don't i'm not too much but for whatever reason like the way he accentuates things it for whatever reason it just it, it's like it's like a like for, it just bothers me for some reason i don't know exactly what it is i don't know if there's some sort of deep psychological thing there but it drives me a little crazy everyone hated on michael smith i never thought he was that bad i thought he made a good effort to understand advanced statistics and use them and you know he never really said that much stuff that i hated and then you know he got canned this year for bruce bowen who i thought has been pretty miserable so far he, he was actually the reason um <laughs> in fact actually bruce bowen might deserve a little bit of credit for the fact that Dunkdown exists because uh he took over nba lockdown from ryan russillo and you know that was like kind of like my nba go-to podcast when he was doing like tales from the couch many years ago um you know even like you know 2010 2011 i mean i remember him getting in all kinds of shit because he's like told mavericks fans like no way you're never gonna beat the lakers like the year that they won the championship but you know russillo i always enjoyed his his stuff uh and then bowen came on and i was like man this is terrible and so i was like all right you know someone needs to like fill the void here i mean it was years later but it kind of definitely pushed me in the direction of like oh hey you know maybe i should start a podcast you know once i started writing oh what a what a fun time uh yeah i mean we uh, we really got going on that that was like 15 minutes on like just total <laughs> league pass minutia you know what uh, let, let's I, I do, an, let's do another really one to enjoy that uh we'll yeah, see so man. we'll see should, should we do another a, a, another question about like actual basketball instead of just like yeah verbal masturbation of our own opinions about other media personnel which is like going maybe going a little far but you know we got asked so we got asked. Uh, Nathan, I thought that was going to be on the Patreon mailbag, but anyway, uh, Nathan Holmes. No, 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 no. no. We that... can't. We can't do this one. Let's do a real basketball question. We'll save this one okay. for later. This is that we already did it. Another one of this, is like another. I can't. We can't do another meta question right now. How about this one? Uh, what should or can the Knicks do to get out of the Noah contract? He will be due about eighteen million per season this year, and then the two years after this one. They shouldn't do anything right away. The reason that you would unload that contract is parallel 
calling what the Lakers might have to do with Will Dang, and it's because you need that space to get somebody who's way better. They could theoretically stretch him if they absolutely had to, but I think the Knicks just grin and bear it for now unless some other team makes a heinous, heinous mistake, which I sincerely doubt they will. And then if you reach a point where you're having these conversations, because the Knicks can still get in the room with a lot of people, and you realize that the only way that you can do something is to unload that contract, then at that point, you figure it out whether it's through the stretch revision or through trading it with assets attached or something like that. Yeah, well, they actually could, in theory, do the same thing with Noah that uh, Pincus is talking about uh, the Lakers doing it with Lula Deng, which actually we can get to uh, after the break. But I, I totally agree with you, Danny, that there's no reason to do anything right now and now if they're and they're just not at the point as a team the lakers you know if they have a belief that they can get to superstars yeah okay they clear the space but where the knicks are as a team i mean the whole reason that they got in trouble signing Noah at the first place was oh we have to get better right away we have to build around carmelo we'll see where they end up this year i mean if they could make the playoffs somehow which they are in position to do and their fundamentals aren't as bad as they have been in past years when they've been kind of playing above expectations but we'll see if this can keep up for them i still suspect that it will not present guess in particular has been a little bit over his head in terms of unsustainable shooting and they're extremely reliant on him offensively but you know if they win 35 games this year and show some progress yeah you chill out i mean if you're if you actually think hey we could get like a star level of player and the only way to do that is to clear out noah all right then you you move heaven and earth to do it but otherwise i think you might as well just keep him around and we'll, we'll take that question on pinkus's idea which i thought was a very interesting one right after this from stamps.com danny you've been using stamps.com quite a bit of I have been. It, you have to send a lot of packages when you when you get a book, and I'm going to hopefully be doing mo- more of those when I start putting out the call for signed copies. And dealing with the post office is a challenge when you're dealing in volume. And stamps.com, I hadn't, I'd been familiar with the concept, of course, but I hadn't used it before. And it has been such a wonderful time saver in terms of being able to print postage yourself. They gave me a scale, which is fantastic. And being able to arrange pickups, it makes something that used to be such a pain completely tolerable, manageable, and never in, never quite enjoyable, but to take what was such a big burden and make it fine is a godsend. Yeah, with the holidays coming up, it's a great time for you to get started with stamps.com as well. It'll help you save time if you're sending holiday cards and gifts. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer, and then the mailman comes and picks it up. That makes things really easy. If you're returning packages, we've got this new house. We've been ordering stuff and, and returning it very easily with them. They'll send you a digital scale that automatically calculates your exact postage. It'll help you decide the best class of mail every time. I like it too because I do a lot of work late at night. Stamps.com is always open, unlike the post office. Right now, you too can enjoy their service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and that digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in that familiar code, CAPSPACE. Easy to remember because we talk about it all the time in the program. That's CAPSPACE, all one word. Stamps.com, enter code CAPSPACE. Let them know that you came from us. So yeah, we got a question on this, which was an interesting one, and Eric Pincus's idea was essentially that the Lakers, as a way to get rid of Luol Deng without having to give up any assets, 
would utilize an interesting provision of the stretch provision, which is basically when you stretch a player, you can elect to spread his remaining guaranteed salary over twice the number of years remaining on the contract plus one there's a little loophole which if this gets done i'm sure will instantly be filled in the the next cba and probably should have been in this one actually that even if you have non-guaranteed money you can stretch over the non-guaranteed years so in the case of luol dang he has about 36 million dollars left what pinkus suggested was they actually give him an extension for an additional three years bringing it now to a five-year contract and making it for the same amount of money but pretty much all non-guaranteed maybe they'd give him an extra an extra three million or so guaranteed enough that like one could credibly believe that they were making it worth his while and then when you stretch him it would be a five-year deal in total stretched out over double the number of years remaining on the contract. That makes it 10 plus one, which is 11. So now you're basically taking $39 million and you're stretching it over 11 years. I mean, that's a long time to have 4% of the salary cap used up, but now you're creating the space and you didn't have to give up any draft picks or assets to do so. So first things first, it is a very creative and ingenious idea. And if the NBA allowed it, I mean, I think that's that's the real challenge here. And yeah. it was he in the piece he talks with, you know, there's a conversation with Larry Kuhn and where I think the real challenge with this is in terms of circumvention and circumvention is is this area i mean even those of us who live this world have blatant uncertainty but one of the basic rules is that if every single other gm and owner is going absolutely insane that puts some pressure on on silver and everybody else and really because the intent here is absolutely to circumvent like that is straight up. That's what the intent is. The intent is to circumvent the rules for for stretching a contract. That is what they are trying to do. So that is where I'm a little bit. But again, that's where you can use the the partial guarantees to really make that work. My instinct is that in order to have it not be an out an all an out riot, it would have to be significant, probably more significant than three million. But again, we're in uncharted waters here, so I'm not I'm not confident in that. That's just my instinct because. Because when you look at intent, basically what they're trying to do is they're just trying to get around the rule on how many years you can you can stretch a contract. Yeah, uh, although I mean getting around it they're not doing anything i mean i don't think that the extension itself is illegal you know they're giving him some more guaranteed money it's really they are adhering to the letter of the law so i you know circumvention i'm not sure that that's the right way to put it but there is really kind of a catch-all under the circumvention provision where you know if the league believes that you're doing something that's just like completely unfair that they didn't think of they essentially can say no and then you know maybe there would be a process that they would have to go through after that to try to fight it um, because it's not technically against the rules but i don't know well, I, and that I, gets, and that gets would, insane yeah. in this circumstance because of the specific timeline because Luol dang wouldn't be eligible for an extension until july 7th so if it is not pre-clear this all might be going on because because obviously you're not going to do that unless you have a thing lined up so if it all hinges on like that four million dollars or whatever i can't remember what the stretch i think it's about four million that the difference is and it comes down to a league adjudication is going to be absolutely bonkers and i don't i don't know if they would have the gumption to pre-clear it or do something of that nature but if they did this is a spe- 
specific enough circumstance that I think it would be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you might as well try it, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, and uh. then you could always just make a trade to get off of the money then well, if, and, if and it so, didn't work. And so this gets, and, and it gets into, basically, I had been going for the idea of that they could trade Dang for a lower contract, like Miles Plumley is the guy who I'm circling on this, who makes less money but is worse. And so then they can stretch a, a smaller amount of money, which is a different way of, of handling that same problem. Yeah. I but do they not still would believe... have to give up the assets to get that guy too. But um, well, well, I mean, ma- I think not. the Hawks maybe might not. be willing to do. The Hawks might be willing to pay five million more for Wall Dang. Well, instead but of why Miles would it, they don't want anything to do with Dang? Well, maybe they do. Maybe they I mean, maybe, maybe they feel like that Hawks. Maybe they feel that Hawks, Hawks University. Something. Sure, yeah. sure. There there are other yeah. options there too. I, I don't know. I think maybe I think Hawks Lou University is, has uh, older entrance. I don't know. Senior, <laughs> anyway, senior. I mean, it's about it's about yeah, it's about fifty fifty whether I think this this would work or not. All right, let's get back to this uh kind of funny question from nathan holmes basically he asked like from just like all the basketball that we watch and like doing dunk tom do you think we would get, have improved our hypothetical skills coaching a middling youth basketball team and then he asked for a prediction of if we were both coaching youth basketball whose team would win given uh equal talent between the teams well i'll answer the second part first and it's you because you played more basketball growing up and had more training i i i didn't i wasn't tall like you and i also was into other sports i played you know played tennis and soccer and other things growing up and so yeah, you would definitely I'm also, you have I'm also much better at like arrogantly ordering people around <laughs> than also true are. but but in terms <laughs> which of is what, which is like of, a prerequisite for a coach <laughs> of, of like some of like young kids but in terms of what we've learned i mean it'd be interesting pinkus would actually be a good person to talk with about that because i believe he coaches his daughter's team but the idea of like kind of what approaches have been easier to pick up so like i mean we've seen switch heavy systems do a really nice job in in the professional levels because it's a it's a more basic thing you know like if if an action comes you just you go to your other person so somebody's on somebody all the time i think that could you know in certain circumstances for for the youth teams that actually run stuff that could be a way to combat it yeah i mean it depends on the talent level of the teams too i mean and this is something you hear every once in a while like i can't remember who it was but it was someone's like oh yeah like you know it's sad that like i can watch a month's worth of nba games and like i don't even come up with any ideas for my high schoolers like it's not you know like implying that like it's not that complex it's like well you know that's because nba plays are for like people who can come off of a screen and shoot a 25 foot three-pointer right like they are to get the nba's talent um is what rules right and it's utilizing that talent it's knowing how to combat that talent it's extremely detailed scouting reports on what people like to do like that's where the bandwidth goes it's not like oh yeah like i just came up with this like completely ridiculous like uh sideline out of bounds play because especially like yeah you can come up with that and then people see it a couple of times and now it's scouted you know so you need stuff that's more that has optionality to it that gets your players your best players into positions to succeed as opposed to like oh yeah look at this like little easter egg play uh that's gonna fool everyone because you know you're not scouting the other team six ways from sunday so um it's a completely different game in the nba and i don't think that that much other than if you have people who can shoot you know the concepts of just like spacing the floor and helping and stuff you know there's also no defensive three seconds rule there's i would actually say because i've actually i coached a little bit just in like 
you know camps and and stuff dave defour actually would be an interesting guy to ask this about because he actually you know did did coach in high school and to see whether he like his nba watching whether he was able to take a lot of stuff from that or not um but there's so much stuff that works at the youth level where it's just like hey give the body your best player because there's so much of a difference between the best players and the worst players and or like play zone or press or all this stuff like they're really i don't think there's that much that you can take uh from the nba to just coaching youth basketball they're really apples and oranges i think that's a a good lead into brian Klinger's question which was many people are saying jason kidd needs to be replaced for the bucks to become title contenders does kidd deserve more time to prove he's the right coach and what would you consider realistic benchmarks for him to retain his position for me the deserve part of it isn't isn't really relevant i I don't think you see it that way he's also been there a while and kidd is now he's coached in the league is this i think this is his sixth year something like that and Uh, his first season was 13 14 in brooklyn so it's Fourth so it's year. fifth season. Fifth season. Is it fifth season? Yeah, that's fine. Um, but so yeah, God, for me, right. the the bigger the bigger question, the like the it's it's a process thing, not a results thing. So I don't want to see it in terms of benchmarks. Is is he willing to adjust his approach, particularly defensively, to different personnel? I mean, we we talked when the Eric Bledsoe trade happened about how they had really good personnel now for switching, and they they have their defense. It it worked well when he started out there. Had some moments in Brooklyn too, but it's not the best approach for his current personnel and I, I think the same thing generally offensively he deserves a lot of credit for developing Embiid uh, Chris Harrigan I actually talked about this on Real Jam Radio too uh, but Giannis you mean yeah yeah I have Embiid on the mind for an obvious reason and so I, I think that that we we can I think we can have a pretty good sense of that but then the other part of this is opportunity you I you can't really to me move on from him unless you have somebody that you believe is the right answer I, I don't think this is like Mark Jackson where you fired him and then Kerr ended up happening I think that there's a little bit it's a little bit harder maybe in some ways to make this work well I think Joe Prunty showed at least something when kid was mm-hmm. out with that hip surgery a couple couple of years ago and to me i agree with you maybe a mid-season firing especially since they just got blood so it's not fair they did exceed expectations last year but with this team's personnel if they're not in the top half of the league in defense or at least and i'm sure they have internal metrics to look at this because you know you're going to be unlucky in terms of like opponents hitting shots or maybe you're lucky um you know certainly their 2014-15 team that was number two in the league in defense was a very lucky team like they had opponents shoot really poorly on open three-pointers that year for example and we saw them regress a ton both with the league catching up to them and also with just you know the regression to a normal amount of made outside shots so i mean basically that's that's the idea is that if this team isn't defending on a solid level then i I think you know it's probably time to move on he's had enough time to prove it they've had this personnel and clock is ticking with Giannis. they have the clock is ticking with blood so like this is a team now that arguably has you know the third best amount of talent now in the eastern conference with the way Giannis is playing and and, i think that's certainly fair i mean they definitely have a big hole at center right now so that's you know big holes can kill you at times but i mean maybe you could say the celtics have more talent if hayward's healthy but probably not actually you you know in their current iteration I, I I'm happy that this opportunity opened up, but you were talking about, you know, looking at the looking at the defense and things like that and trying to separate out the luck part of it. And I am pretty confident that there are people in the Bucks analytics department that are aware and embrace the fact that the NBA is a make or miss league concur uh all right let's do some lightning here glenn simonson i think i recognize you from periscope dogman 2828 here though is it better for lebron if he wants to win future rings to stay in cleveland 
with the future top pick plus what they have i just i would assume they're going to re-sign isaiah going to the lakers with paul george or going to san antonio and teaming up with Kawhi. the latter would assume that they probably had to find a way to just move on from lamarcus aldridge to open up some space they have to move a lot of space i actually can helped ben golver a little bit with his si piece because he's like how could that happen and it's it's tough because they have to move just so much salary but i think to me it's the lakers but not necessarily because of paul george itself but because I think they would be able to attract very high level talent with their remaining exceptions and minimum contracts. So it's not fair to think of it as Lonzo, LeBron, Paul George, Ingram, and probably Brooke Lopez at center. I think they would be getting for one year or for two years, they would be getting basically fringe starter or maybe even maybe a little worse than that, like six men, talented six men for the minimum, just for an opportunity to play with that team. Or the room exception and then the mid-level the next right. year. Um, I mean, I think San Antonio is obvious just because LeBron and Kawhi together and then Pop coaching them. I mean, that would just be a monster team. Um, they might not get as many veteran ring chasers as you could get in San Antonio, but whoever they got, Pop could really coach them up and they would finally have some athleticism there. So I, I think just LeBron being coached by Pop, he'll never do that, though. I think he just wants to have more control over what's going on. He's not going to have that in you know a very stolid organization like san antonio although you know that's not a criticism because they of course have been awesome staying in cleveland the future top pick really only comes into play for me during lebron's prime if they trade him uh you know he's really got you know maybe two three years left at the most after this one i mean he's still not showing signs of slowing down yet but um you know so they would have to if he says all right i'm gonna re-up uh around draft time trade that pick get me someone good okay um so i would say and they don't really have a ton left love is kind of going downhill so i would rank it probably but then of course cleveland is in the east and san antonio and the lakers are in the west and lebron will probably be over the hill at least to some degree before this golden state juggernaut has ended um so they got to deal with that but if you're talking about just winning a ring anyway they have to beat golden state no matter where they are as opposed to just getting to the final so i'd probably rank it san antonio lakers cleveland yeah that's totally fair i i was thinking about that the spurs would give up a lot more guys than that but using your part as a foundation will do that question from mike Shotton: try to pick a couple players to really follow each year last year loved isaac uh who are some prospects i could try to follow who who might not be a top four pick so i'm not going to talk about the top of the draft but who who could be interesting nba players so i'm excluding the very top of this draft i'm gonna do not the top seven which is outside of there but a couple guys that i just really like that are a little bit later Nikhil alexander walker i think is the first player that i can remember that you me schmitz are and san Vicini are all high on and is not a lottery pick we all like him for different reasons we've seen him at various things so i want to mention him jared vanderbilt i liked a lot at the hoop summit last year he's at kentucky this year he's worth watching kentucky's worth watching as well with because of shy uh gilgis alexander who's fun to watch this year and those are probably the three that i would focus on but really i would keep an eye on you know, like mo bamba at texas like that he'll be a lot of fun too and you yeah know, i mean he's probably a year. top five guy so i, oh, I mean yeah, i guess the, i Svee? didn't really particularly <laughs> uh no my uh, that ship has sailed I, i'm afraid uh oh yeah i know was, uh, we can still look back at the days when i was getting angry at uh coach roy renna i've since apologized to him for playing playing jamal murray over svi thinking like how could they and at the time i was like oh man this guy is like dominant like how are you not playing a blah blah and like nah actually jamal murray yeah, turned out a little better than him I, roy, roy probably had that one right I, I was like oh he's a canadian coach like of course he's gonna like you know play jamal murray like uh no no cal- calm down roy had that one right Nate. uh and then 
I mean, maybe I, I didn't really care for his level of basketball IQ and his shot selection, but Kevin Knox uh, on Kentucky is certainly someone, especially if he starts hitting shots, who has the athleticism to really be kind of a modern four type of yeah. player. But, you know, I mean, we it always takes us a while to lock in on this. So we're usually not the like, oh, hey, do you like these sleepers in the draft? Like, we'll, we'll do the top 10. We'll do it after the season if you're a new listener. But and I'll probably hope to have Mike Schmitz on soon to talk about this draft. But we're uh, we're not the guys to ask on that. I, I don't yeah. think. Just um, watch Kentucky. All right. I'll just do this one quickly. Uh, okay. Frank Urbina asks, uh, will anyone be bold enough to hand Aaron Gordon a max offer sheet this summer? And who might that be? So here are some of the teams that have space uh, and I think could really use him. I mean, and we'll assume that he's going to, he won't keep shooting this crazy percentage on threes, but that he'll shoot a, a solid percentage. And, you know, even if he ends up shooting like high threes at the end of the year, you know, talking about a max offer sheet for him is not insane, especially when you've got young teams. He is very young. Uh, he was one of the youngest guys in his draft. And, if he's hitting shots like this, then you throw in his defensive potential, his ability to attack the rim, get on the glass, get out in transition. Uh, you know, he's not going to be your number one option with the ball in his hands necessarily, but as a guy who can attack off a closeout, maybe be a third score um, and give you that amount of athleticism and switchability defensively, I think, you know, I mean, he's certainly more deserving of a max contract if he shoots like this all year uh, than Otto Porter. Um so I mean the, sadly enough the Kings won't have any space to give out a max offer sheet this year because you know unless they trade away George Hill or Zach Randolph which they won't be able to do with those salaries so certainly Atlanta falls into that category uh Brooklyn probably one of the space um Atlanta may not either they're dependent on those player options with Deadman and Muscala the Bulls uh Markin and, and Gordon would be a very interesting not a great fit together necessarily uh Indiana is going to have a ton of space if uh Thaddeus Young opts out uh, the Lakers he could be a backup option there if they don't get their big stars what about Philly Philly would be a, a, an interesting one if his shooting is for real it would be possible and and also he has yeah. a lower max so that would that helps yeah so they and a lot of that depends on what happens with faults too and it, he still is not a great shooter, but just having that level of athleticism and switchability, I mean, you think of that, the defense with Simmons, him, and Bede, Covington, I mean, that would just be an absolute monster defensive group. Um, yeah, that's probably about it in terms of teams that can get anywhere close to mm. max space. Dallas could be a, a potential option as well. I think like he and Barnes could fit together reasonably. Um, you know, it depends That'd be fun. again what happens with Dirk's team option, what happens with Noel. You know, they're looking like looking like Noel is not even going to be on their books anymore at this rate. But um, so they could well, probably also, get right around there too. Yeah, and I could see them being a player for Cousins and a few other guys. So it's just going to yeah. be about what they prioritize. Because the problem with Aaron Gordon is there's a chance that the Magic just that so it would it would they would start to get close to luxury yeah. tax land but so I, I there are only two more questions that i want to i want to do and i think we can do them both pretty quickly uh from matt i cannot pronounce your last name publica after the Bledsoe trade both you guys were both pessimistic the suns would use monroe's expiring to take on more assets why is that phoenix history reporting sourcing other and it's two different elements for me one is monroe is talented but i don't think there's a ton of like value for him at his price in terms of him that player that contract as a value and and so that limits the return you can get. And then the second part is it doesn't appear that the Suns want to take on long-term money because if they wanted to take on long-term money, they could have done it from the Bucks. The Bucks had plenty of guys at basically any salary band to make that work. They chose not to do it. And my assumption, whether that's fair or foul, is that it, the Bucks would have given more assets in return. And so the fact that they chose that and that it fits Sarver's MO ties it in for me. Yeah. And it's just, it's been said that they don't want to, they're actually trying to get off of money in 
in theory so yeah i think that's the issue there uh what was the last one you wanted to do so we can wrap up here uh, from miguel verduzco how much of a problem is it that james harden often puts zero effort on defense it seems like he gives up on several plays per game and the complete give-ups are a big problem because those plays just sabotage your entire defense if, if you get a, a no resistance blow by like that one on serge Ibaka, there is no way that you can recover unless your guy happens to be in the right place at the right time and so those are damaging i mean it basically turns whatever you have the expected value of a possession can put it around one 1.1 into like two and so on that possession that's pretty pretty catastrophic yeah it's interesting if you watch the angle at which NBA players generally will attack a defensive player and in isolation, especially just from a standstill. A lot of it is they almost start horizontally and then like almost turn the corner once they've beaten the guy. Whereas, you know, if you're just in a pickup game, you just kind of, your first step, you just blow by the guy. There's not, there's some guys who do that NBA, in the NBA, uh, but not that many, or you got to at least fake the guy out first. But if you're just giving up just a straight line drive, you're not even like making the guy make a move before he beats you and then just gets right to the rim there just isn't time for the help to get there and then also plays like that are so obvious on film you have and i get it like harden is busting his ass on offense he's a wonderful offensive player but it's just so hard to build a defensive culture if you compare harden to steph curry there is absolutely zero comparison even if you know at many times steph curry just doesn't have the size and he just can't stop guys Number one, he's not just giving up a straight blow by. He's at least trying. He's getting into guys. He's moving his feet. He's in a stance. And players can respect okay you're trying hard but you just don't have the physical capabilities if you're just straight up standing up and down if you're just not you're not even getting into a stance much less even trying to make one slide i mean it's not like okay i tried to slide with you and then he changed direction and crossed me up it's just he went in one direction i didn't even move to try and get in front of him and this isn't only that one play against Ibaka yesterday when people were trying to excuse it because he had five fouls which was ridiculous uh because number one you can still make an effort when you have five fouls and number two it happens several times a game it happened several times in that cleveland game that we did for the tour nba show so yeah no it's a massive problem it sucks all right i think we're done here <laughs> yeah with, with that declarative statement well i i so i i don't know if i'm ready to promote it yet because i don't know if it's coming out on thursday but i do have a piece that is coming out for the sporting news on a topic that i've been interested in for a while and we haven't talked that much about on the show of the significance of the nba moving up the trade deadline and so what i what i focused on was the passage of time and how moving it up changes how teams are going to evaluate their own prospects and buyers and sellers and everything like that you said that you weren't sure if you're going to promote it and then you did so i guess you uh well, no, I wasn't, achieved I wasn't sure. some clarity I was, well i i did because i'm not sure when it's coming out and then and then i realized i'm like well people can keep an eye out for it yes and it probably will come out before we get a chance to, to plug it again they'll do it for today's program check out the twitter nba show that or uh that golden state boston game we're going to do that one and then maybe we'll do houston phoenix as well especially if chris paul is back we'll kind of see how we're feeling after that first game whether we want to continue it as well but you can follow me on periscope at nate duncan nba i'll be tweeting it out at nate duncan nba as well and thanks again to draft for sponsoring today's show it's not too late to join what is the highest rated fantasy football app for fantasy basketball that is draft download the app anytime to search draft in your app store join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on draft.com whichever you prefer for a limited time only all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit but of course you have to use that familiar promo code CapSpace. space easy to remember because we talk about it all the time on the program you can play a real money game for free use that promo code CapSpace. let them know that you came from us and you can play that real money game for free on your first deposit.